How's everybody doing this fine morning? Gandhi. Mm. You're Gandhi. I am Gandhi. You did know that, did you not? <laughs> I did not know that you're Gandhi. No. I'm Gandhi. Damn it. But he's not. He's not Dilby. <laughs> no, not Dilby, but Gandhi. But being Gandhi doesn't end well for you, Dave. So you may want to rethink your career, Chad. <laughs> I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? Your Starfleet officers! Now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Hell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listen to the Prophets. I'm Paul Spitaro, and I am here with my usual uh, cohort. Gang of idiots. <laughs> that too. Sir Andrew Leyland. Hello, everybody. Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And David Pascarella. How's it going? It's going good, and that's what we say. But what would Blaine say? Blaine says good morning. He'll be able to read his own email. Yes, saving me some work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've actually got the emails queued up in another tab for when the time comes. Excellent. Today we are here to look at the Season 7 episode of DS9, Chimera. Destiny is catching up with Odo. It's changing. But to be true to his own... That's what I am! Must he abandon his true love on the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine? But before we do that, does anybody have any uh, Star Trek things they want to talk about? In particular, Blaine, we haven't talked to you in a while. Anything new going on uh, in your Star Trek world? Um, Not much in the Star Trek world. I'm still waiting for... The physical release of Star Trek Picard Season 1, only the first two episodes were streaming free in Canada. So, that's where we are in Star Trek. I'm caught up on Discovery at the time of recording. That's two seasons, and I am just starting, or just a a little bit into the first season of Picard. And earlier this week, they announced Strange New Worlds. Or was that last week? Did you guys discuss it in your last recording? Yes, we discussed that in the last news section. Okay. We should we should call this section old news. <laughs> yeah, it, it's th- this is the section where people understand what kind of podcast lead time we'd like to use. Well, have, having recorded with you on your show, uh, our lead time is nothing compared to yours. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. we'll just we'll set that aside for now. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's it for new stuff for us to talk about, so I might as well go right into this episode. This is Season 7, Episode number 14, directed by Steve Posey, written by Rene Echevarria, uh, and guest-starring Garmin Hertzler as Laz, uh, which some of us recognized and some of us not so much. No, that would be me. <laughs> For anybody who's listening who doesn't recognize that name, that's uh, the same actor who portrays General Martok. Uh, and I have to say, you know, Andy and I kind of had a, a mini discussion on this, and uh, I didn't realize it right away either. But then after a little while, I'm hearing the voice, and I'm saying, there's something familiar about that voice. Oh, that's what it is. I mean, from, from appearance-wise, you'd never, ever pick him out. No, I was 36 minutes into the episode. I literally paused it at 36 minutes and texted you to say, I'm 36 minutes into this episode. I did not know that was Martok. 
it just shows how good the guy, the actors are in Deep's First Nine that they can play multiple parts like this. There's him, and there's obviously um, Coombs, Jeffrey Coombs, and in the next episode, another actor does it as well, and they get away with it. Yeah, to a degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's all, the the other guy who's in the next episode. It's his eyes that give him away, isn't it? It, it is. Yeah, the the next guy's the eyes, and here, like we're saying, they even changed the way they credited J.G. Hertzler when they listed him as Garmin Hertzler. But that voice is distinctive. So, yeah, the voice threw me, but to be fair, it's only the voice. He isn't just... Like, when he's playing this character, he's using completely different body language, start to finish. He's In his voice, he's also... Uh using a very different affect about it. So it, it doesn't jump out at you right away. You don't hear it and say, oh, that's the same voice. It's just if you're listening carefully after a while, you just say there's something about that tone that catches you. But it, it, he, he does he does that differently also because as, as Martok, he's very gravelly and just kind of like, you know, constantly barking out orders. Even when he's having a conversation, he's barking it out. And, you know, as, as, as Laws, he's, he's just kind of speaking and he's, He's very matter-of-fact in how he says things, so it's it's it doesn't jump out at you right away. I don't I didn't uh, timestamp when I figured it out, so I can't tell you if I figured it out quicker or uh, or if it took longer for me to figure it out. But it wasn't immediate. I believe he played a uh, erosion on Voyager as well. I think that's correct. I think you're right about that. Plot of this episode is that while returning to Deep Space Nine, Odo and Chief O'Brien encounter another changeling. This changeling, like Odo, is one of the hundreds sent to explore the Alpha Quadrant. The changeling, who calls himself Laz, has no knowledge of the Dominion or the Founders. He followed the runabout when he sensed Odo's presence and is eager to learn more about their kind. On DS9, Dr. Bashir confirms that Laz is not a Founder, and Captain Sisko allows Laz the freedom of the station as long as he remains in Odo's custody. The two changelings discuss their past. Laz reveals that he does not trust humanoids, who he refers to as monoforms, but neither does he support the Founder's agenda and just wishes to avoid humanoids. When the two link, Odo reveals he too would have left human space had he not fallen in love with Major Kira. As days pass, Laz attempts to convince Odo to embrace his changeling heritage and suggests that they leave the station in order to find more of the hundred and form their own great link. Odo is tempted, especially when Laz, who is much more adept at shapeshifting, helps him improve his skills. Matters are not helped, however, by Laz's disinterest in human friendship. Laz causes a disturbance on the promenade, promenade when he transforms into a fog. Chief O'Brien assumes there is a problem with the environmental system and is annoyed when he learns the truth. The commotion draws the attention of two Klingon officers visiting the station. Seeing what they assume is a founder, they confront Laz, whose shapeshifting allows him to both defend against the attack and kill one of the Klingons. After news of the killing reaches Klingon High Command, they request that Laz be extradited to the Empire for trial. Kira, wanting to give Odo the opportunity to travel with his own, frees Laz and tells everyone that he escaped. Privately, she lets Odo know that Laz is waiting on Corallus III. Odo meets Laz on Corallus, but declines to leave with him. Odo tells Laz that he is wrong about the solids, and that he is staying with Kira. Back on DS9, Odo shows his love and affection for, for Kira by transforming into a golden light so that Kira can feel the closeness of the Great Link. So, I really enjoyed this one, and I got the impression that I may have a dissenting view from at least one of you when this came up. Uh, but I, I thought this was pretty cool. I thought it, it's finally easing us back into the overarching story. It's not, but it's not throwing us in the midst of the war. It's it's putting us, you know, into just kind of. It's almost like a transition back from from our uh, episodes that had nothing to do with the overarching story and i thought it was a good character study it's focusing really on you know even though we have the the guest character it's focusing on odo and his uh comfort level with with the people and all of that it's focusing on his relationship with kira with his relationship with the people with his relationship with the great link uh i, th I think you know it, it's well served in that regard and i just like i said i just found it fascinating to watch to be honest with you What'd you guys think? 
that much. <laughs> we were waiting for other people to go at first. I thought it was alright, this one. I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was really uh, well played by the other guy. I think some of the problems... JG Hurts. The only problem I had with it, really, was it's touching upon racism and, and bigotry. And Lars is really not a likeable guy at all. You well, get the like impression... This. You really get the impression O'Brien doesn't dislike him because he's a changeling. He just dislikes him because he's an ass. Yeah, there's there's definitely some of that there. It's the and the whole attitude. It's the the no true Scotsman logical fallacy, right? Where it's oh well, the reason that that Odo disagrees with me is because he's young and hasn't had my experiences. In the long term, he'll realize I am right. Right? Any true changeling would think the way I feel, given enough that's, experience. That's that's the logic of every parent. I know better because I'm the parent. Leave me alone. Just go do, you know, go eat your gruel. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And I mean, now that we've they actually established here how long Odo's been around, so I thought he'd, he'd been aware of himself sooner, but I guess not. Or, or more recently, I should say. But yeah, he's... So he's got, what, 40 years on him, I think they said. And he's like, oh, well, that's it. But 40 years, it, it feels substantial to us. you know, And that's part of who we're trying to identify with, even though it's very young for a changeling. And he's saying, well, yeah, when you outgrow her in this uh, over the centuries, and you're still around and she's not. So, yeah, and that's a big part of it. it I do really like the fact that they remembered that Oda was just one of a hundred. I mean, as much as I enjoyed this the first time, looking back in hindsight, now that I know the story, I almost wish that, you know, as much as I enjoy the Odo kira relationship, instead of going that route, Odo had gone out on the quest to find the other changelings to help them fight back. It's just, you know, we knew he's on a mission, and we'd see snippets, but not know what the mission was until near the end when he shows up triumphant and you know, there's like 10 other changelings in the room because he's gone and found them and said, hey, this is what our people are like. It, it would have been nice to see them pull that together, but as far as I recall, this is it for the 100. It's just this quick acknowledgement and secures that, yeah, as tempting as Odo's changeling peoples are, he's, he's you know, rooted in Deep Space Nine, and he is here to stay, or at least that's the way it appears. You could have easily added one episode which kind of, you know, went through the hunt for the hundred and just showed his progress or lack thereof. And then you could have had a, a moment in, you know, the series finale or whatever where the cavalry, cavalry comes in and it's Odo and the changelings that he's managed to connect with. Uh, it, it could have been made for an interesting moment. Would have ch totally changed how this series resolves in the end, but would have been interesting. Yeah, but thinking back on it now, it probably would have been budget-breaking, too. Quite possibly. And that is always a factor on a, on a show like this. I wasn't as big a fan of this one. I found the Lal character, as I was supposed to, I think, compl completely unlikable. Um, I find the whole linking to be a rather personal thing. And it I get Odo doesn't have access to many changelings, but he literally just meets this changeling and he links with him. And while Lal is supposedly more experienced with the world, he is not secure with laws. He's not as experienced with linking laws. And then that's all laws wants to do. It reminded me of like a teenager who has sex for the first time and, Let's do it now, right here on the promenade. Nobody will notice. Let's go. And the hell with them. You know, they're solids. Yeah, I kind of feel uh, like Odo is a, is a uh, great link slut. Because, you know, <laughs> when, when you link with someone, you've linked with everybody they've linked with before. So. Yeah, won't that come into play a little bit later on, though, when we find out Odo has that thingy of virus? Yeah, that is definitely an STD. Yeah. <laughs> An LTD. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, I, honestly, that, that's something I, I did find a little bothersome is, uh, you know, they, they repeatedly talk about how it's such a personal and 
uh, almost overwhelming experience, and yet everybody Odo meets that he can do it, he's like, oh, let's let's link, let's link. Uh, he's a swinger. Yeah, and and from the seventies, all he needs is a stash. Even at the end, when when he's you know it's, you know he says he's showing uh, Kira the closeness of the Great Link. I don't see how a person can experience what it is they're experiencing, a monoform. But I do. I think Laz was intentionally unlikable. I don't think that's something where you were, uh, you know, experiencing something different. Because I think they, I think they, you know, they want you to side with Odo, but they also want you to see the temptation Odo has to find others of his kind and how easy, easily it is for them to feel apart from, you know the normal humanoids so I, I, I thought they did a good job of that without you know creating this character that would be seen as kind of like a Christ figure well Laz is probably more closer to obviously to the founders way of thinking than Odo is yeah no question so that's another reason why he may not be seen as likable yeah and Laz isn't drinking the Federation root beer yet mm-hmm I, I, I always got I, I got the impression that if Laz met up with the founders, he he would be like, oh yeah, yeah he all would right, totally go aboard with them. But now, if if Odo has, I hadn't thought about this. If Odo has the virus, most like, well, yeah, because I, if I remember correctly, he he does. Then um, he most likely passes on the laws, and laws went out. If he didn't find or ever get the cure, he's probably dead. No great loss. Yeah, I'm. My main no concern here is, is is how many <laughs> other changelings he finds first. Because mm. I wouldn't really. We don't know, but it, you know, there's there's no reason to think that the uh, the others would be the same level of jerk that that Laws is. Mm. It kind of has a vibe of. Uh, uh, it was reminding me a little bit of um, Highlander with. Uh, Sean Connery explaining to uh, Christopher oh Lambert. Thank you. Th- you know about having a uh, having a mate. You know, well, you know, you're going to see her die. You know, blah blah blah. We stand different. Blah blah blah. So, and as for Laz's vibe, um, his manner of speaking reminded me of Terrence Stamp, but from Superman Two, but not as menacing just standoffish and prickish. <laughs> well, it also asks the question, do characters have to be likable? No. I, th- I thought it answered the question by saying, no, they don't. No, so he's, he's, the fact that he's not likable isn't really interfering with what he's saying. I mean, I suppose if he was a little bit more likable, maybe we would have taken the story differently. So it was certainly an interesting choice to have him to be what he is. Well, plus he's not necessarily a quote-unquote villain. No, he isn't. Yeah, he's an antagonist more than a villain. And mm-hmm. I appreciate, I think the, the advantage to making him more likable is that it would have made Odo's choice to stay on DS9 more... He would have made it more meaningful. Because... Mm. I mean, at this point, it's like, well, yeah, who would want to spend all their time with that prick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, well, I love O'Brien's disdain for him pretty much from off the bat. Well, well you try and explain to Martok how he's not a villain and one of his officers is dead. Oh, well, see, I have a real problem with that scene. Basically... He can argue there's a little bit of self-defense. I know what they say. Well, they knew he was a changeling, so he was never in any danger. But the clear implication from this clinch, combat to the death, that's what they do all the time. And in any other episode, the fact that the Klingon officer ends up dead, that would have just been, oh, well, okay, he won. Yeah, it was his own it, fault. Klingon does... fight to the death. For Martok to turn around and say, I want him tried and put in jail. I'm like, no, he wouldn't do that at all. No, yeah. I, I see that as the, the legal loophole to still continue their push to have one less changeling in the galaxy. Right. I, I think that's it, and it's I, I suspect it's just, no, we we are at war with the changelings, we're going to wipe out the changelings, and they tolerate Odo because of his position with 
stage or in the Federation. Mm. So I, I think tolerate is the appropriate word for that. Yeah. You know, I don't think the Klingons respect him, and I don't think they believe that he's really necessary, but I think they allow him to exist because the Federation has done so. I think they, you know, the Klingon way of life would be destroy all chains and changelings. But over, overall, I quite like that scene because I loved that that's not a knife moment. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the, the effects were done well, and it, it really did show the, the danger of the changelings with how casually, you know, he did the, the T2 arm blade thing. You know, not mm-hmm. Xander Berkeley this time, but just the the other Klingon. Like it really does show the threat level that even one changeling can pose. But at the same time, yeah, you're right. They're they're saying, well, he's a changeling. He wasn't in any danger. Well, yeah. So why did they pick the fight? Because <laughs> they're Klingons, and that's just their first instinct when presented with a with a potential conflict is to pursue the conflict. Yeah, it it just strikes me that they, they should have been using blasters or phasers because bladed weapons, no amount of bladed weaponry is going to attack or going to harm the changeling. Although they did miss a trick for having Martok and Lars in Cisco's office arguing with each other. That would have been quite funny, but probably budget breaking again. And maybe a little more obvious with the voices than... We've already had that a little bit with Jeffrey Coombs. Jeffrey Coombs gets away with it, though. I don't know why. Yeah, I think some of it is the the Ferengi teeth make a bigger difference in the voice than the Klingon teeth. Mm-hmm. So he does sound much more different as Brunt. But, yeah, if you had scenes with Wayun and... Was it Shrak? Shran. Shran, yeah, his Andorian character from Enterprise... Th- those voices would be dead giveaways. That's part of the issue. If you put them in the same room, the people who didn't pick up that it's the same actor would. I can always remember Shran because it reminds me of Saran Rap. <laughs> <laughs> that famous Andorian Sharan Rap. <laughs> Just put some commas in it and you're there. Sharan, and I'm here to say I am blue <laughs> every day. <laughs> I'm blue, 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 blue. Let me stop it to my antenna. You stop it to you. What would Blaine say? Well, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Blaine once would like a live concert, a, a medley of all the, the Blaine. No, that's not going to happen. Maybe he'll sing his own song. Yeah, I don't think anyone wants me to sing. I'm not a, a lyricist. I could sing like an Upla the Mock song or something. Paul uh, used to say that, and now he won't shut up. Uh, yeah, we broke him. <laughs> can break you too. But the reality is, nobody wants to hear me sing. The only <laughs> difference is, now I want to sing. I feel like the uh, the son on uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So let's let's try and do this in a way where we're not offending anybody, but let's discuss the nature of the Great Link a little bit. Uh, because, you know, as, as we said earlier, it is a very, very personal experience, and they make it very clear that it is. So I think the closest experience we can have to that is a sexual experience, uh, you know, to, to try and relate to it. And they keep telling us that it's not like that. And then, you know, when, when Laws and, and Odo linked, I started thinking, you know, is, is this, are they making some sort of statement about homosexuality or something like that? And saying, you know, to the effect that, you know, with, with this species, there, there is, you know, like they don't even think about it. It doesn't even enter into it. Uh, and I, and I thought they were making a statement to that effect. And then they had Odo come out and, you know, make it clear to, to, to Kira, although he could have just been saying this to try and keep her calm. But he still made a statement, you know, no, it has nothing to do with sexuality, blah, blah, blah. It's not the same. Uh, so I almost felt like they backed away from the, you know, the social statement they were trying to make. It's Which not is that the, the whole world is a nonstop orgy? Yes, <laughs> no, that, that, that male-female doesn't matter to them. 
Well, why would it matter to changelings? Yeah. How do they reproduce? I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, there is there just a finite amount of changelings that are in the Great Link? Well, no, there has there has to be some form of reproduction because they reproduced a hundred to. Oh, that's true. That's true. Space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you're right. And there was the the, the child changeling that Odo yeah. had uh, found. So we don't know how that happens. I mean, the Great Link seems to be. It, it seems to be soul sharing to me more than anything. So your thoughts like spiritual. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there was an episode in season six where Odo was acting, I felt uncharacteristically when he was frequently linking with the female changelings. So I think it is really sharing thoughts. And that could be why, you know, the founders seem to be of one mind because they really are of one mind in the great link. So I, I mean, I think you're right that the sexual experience could be the closest because it is the most personal and when you really get to know someone. But I, it's the closest experience we have that doesn't make it a close experience. It, yeah, that it's, makes sense. Yeah, right. it's an alien experience. Maybe we just don't understand it and aren't meant to understand it. Now, I think Paul's right. They may have been going for that and then backpedaled on it. But even... Iris Stephen Burr said in that documentary he doesn't think they did enough in regards to representation of gay lifestyles in Deep Space Nine. But at the same time, it was 25 years ago. So maybe they did backpedal away from it. Maybe it was an intention originally. Maybe they decided that would be Odo cheating on Kira, and they didn't really want to go there at all. So they just kind of brushed it away. But again, like I say, it could just be the completely alien experience that we just don't understand. I think yeah, we have to it, ultimately go with that as a thought process that we can't understand the feeling that they have and how it affects them because I think that's the easiest way to acclimate itself to the narrative that we have in this story. Uh, and I also think that they went through such great pains to finally connect Kira and Odo that uh, you know it, it would it would be a problem now to, to all of a sudden have him cheating on her. Mm. So they had to kind of distance it from that. But I do think that they were trying to make a statement, and I think that they just kind of, their hands were tied to some extent. Yeah, well, apparently they had a heck of a time even just having the two women kiss when Dax's former host came back, and the only reason that they were able to push it through the producers who were afraid it would, right, it, it's not part of a network, it was through syndication, but the syndication group that they reported to were afraid that networks wouldn't pick it up if they had a lesbian kiss on there. So they had to act, well, no, it's not really homosexual because they were a heterosexual couple when this started, and they, they really had to argue and fight to keep that moment in the episode, or it would have been, they would have been asked to change it just so that they could do the sales. So that wouldn't have been actual pushback from the markets, it would have been the expected pushback from the market. So after that experience, it could be that they just chose not to fight that fight because they didn't think they could win it. And especially seeing as that wasn't the point of this episode, whereas it was the point of that episode. Yeah, like that. So, yeah, so like you said, they may have just thought it wasn't a battle worth fighting. Okay. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think that kind of covers it. But I think, I do think, like I said, I think that they were trying to make a statement, and I think they were trying to make a very positive statement in that regard. But I think they, uh, you know, they had to. Come, you know, they have to make it work with their overall story, and then they have to also make it work with whatever they think the public perception is going to be, and you know what's acceptable and what's not. So I, I you know, I guess we give them credit for trying. Mm. I, I think, you know, in, in that respect, I think they were ahead. They were ahead of their time because, you know, they, you know, now in in Discovery, there's you know a, a gay relationship that's pre- presented as being very positive. So they eventually got to that kind of thing, and I'm not, you know, I am not a social justice warrior, but you know, it's good to see uh, viewpoints advancing. Are you a social justice mage then, or (laughs) I'm just just an innocent bystander watching social justice be done around me? Yeah, well, is it social justice warrioring to just reflect what's going on in the world? Twenty years ago, I didn't know any gay people. Now I know loads. 
it's, it's well, you, know. you didn't know any uncloseted yeah. gay people. Yeah. yeah, that 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 was my point. Yes, I yeah. I was not aware of it because they kept it quiet because of society. And now we're not perfect, but maybe we are taking little baby steps to being more perfect, to being more accepting of the way that other people live their lives. And I've still, we've still got a long way to go, but there's still no, there's still just reflecting what's going on. That's my problem when people say social justice warrior, I use those initials as a prerogative, prerogative, as a negative. It's not that if you're just reflecting where society is and what's going on. Well, I, I see it, I, and you're right, it is used as a, as a pejorative uh, term. But That's the word, thank you. <laughs> but I, I think that, uh, that, I see it more as just, you know, the difference between somebody such as myself who is a bystander who sees these things going on and reflects on them and has his own personal thoughts and somebody who feels, no, I need to be, I need to take affirmative action to help a cause. That's the difference I see. I, I, I try not to view it as a, necessarily as a negative, but clearly I, I, am, I am not one. I don't feel the need to, you know, to push any causes. I just try to keep an open mind. But at the same time, you're not negative towards that kind of portrayal being seen. No, I have no problems. So there you go. So you're good, ma'am. You are a good man. Yes, yeah, so you're not fighting on the front lines, but you're an ally. <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I'm sure some people would look at me and say, ah, you know, you're hiding in the, uh, in the trenches and <laughs> when, when everybody else is going ahead and fighting a battle. But, you know. Whatever. I, I, my my perspective has always been live and let live. You know what what people do, and what what their feelings are and everything. That's good. Have fun. <laughs> you know, I, was, I really could never understand how it impacted me. Yeah, and that's the key. I, I I'm very much in the point where anyone has the right to be happy as long as it is not causing harm to someone else. And the pushback seems to be people who are say, oh, others who live these lifestyles are harming me just by existing. And that's a perspective I, I will never be able to wrap my head around. See, I think the, the place that this episode really scores is in Kira's reaction to all of this. She's actually really good in this episode. I mean, we've loved Nana Visitor from the beginning. But Kira's journey throughout the entire series has been quite remarkable. And her reaction to what Odo's going through here, to the point of she lets the guy go. And then she goes and blatantly lies to Cisco about how he escaped. All for the good of Odo. I think she's great in this episode. She is. Much like the episode where they got together, her story is in service to Odo's story. And it would have been nice to have more of the focus on her. But you're absolutely right. It shows it shows how devoted she is, where she thinks, if I do this, it can harm me, but I believe Odo will be happier. So she does it to let Odo be happier. Mm -hmm. If you love it, let it go. Yeah. And that's that could be why the Wikipedia page says that uh, in 2018, Sci-Fi said that you know, if you're going to watch uh, Akira Norris run of Deep Space Nine, they had a watch guide just to focus on the character of Kira. This was included. Ah, right. They also note that the episode is mainly focused on Odo and the visiting shapeshifter Laz, but despite not being the focus, also shows part of Kira's character. Mm -hmm. and I think that's what Andy was just tapping into right now. Well, I think, you know, if you're attuned to the relationship you have with someone, you know, you might come to the that yes I could tell him to stay and he will but he'll always be longing for that and missing that and you know he'll never feel complete so therefore if I stop him from going you know our relationship is still going to suffer for it anyway but by giving him the freedom and letting him make the choice himself whatever that choice may be whether he chooses to go or stay and it seems to me like she's very clearly surprised that his choice was to stay uh, but by letting him make that choice himself, you eliminate that, you know, what if from his perspective. You know, you stopped me from going, therefore I'm going to resent you. Any other themes in this one that should be discussed? Science. So, 
changelings uh, we've seen on I don't recall prior to this seeing changelings you know they've either been solids or somewhat of a liquid form so now we see them as like a gaseous form and could you say energy or were they just replicating energy what do you think Blaine uh, I don't know. being a flame like, yeah, the, did that did that flame give off heat or did it just look like a flame I, I suspect it might have just looked like a flame because if it was expelling that much energy right that would have come from somewhere mm-hmm. we don't know I mean Odo initially reacts as if it's flame call, yeah he's calling the fire suppression system but something twigged so is it something in the way changelings perceive their surroundings because you know, he doesn't really have eyes or ears he could be in his gelatinous form and still be aware of his surroundings mm-hmm. right so is there some way like when he was the fog could it but be even that he, that he has yeah. to be the solid liquid or gas and he converts to a gas that is flammable yeah, yeah but, but then, then he'd actually be on fire if it was just flammable gas and laws actually says you didn't know we could be flame right so system that's sufficient to handle saying that he's a guest that was an off flame. Uh, no, I don't he, believe that either, so just don't even bother. Are, are, are you saying he'd have to be on fire to understand the concept? Uh, are you saying I have to die to have a point of reference in this conversation? Oh. I liked him more when you were dead. <laughs> but he also travels through space. Now we've seen other life forms that travel through space, like back in Next Generation. But I don't remember off the top of my head were they traveling at warp when the when laws came up upon them? Uh, no, they had already dropped out of warp because they'd oh, entered okay. the Bajoran system about five minutes prior. Ah, okay. So that that part was <clears throat> handled carefully. It it's. The opening dialogue was O'Brien noting that they dropped out of warp before he realizes, oh crap, I didn't get Keiko anything, and here Odo's got two presents for Kira. Because I I was just, you know, because could they trans, can, you know, if they could transform into flame or some type of energy, could they transform into other types of energy and, like, travel instantaneously, say they travel, turn themselves into a beam of light or, like, an X-ray, or something to travel through a wall. But I think that's going a little too deep. It, it is, and I think if you go into the pure energy, then you must be traveling at the speed of light, but it also means you can't form a coherent molecule. Right? A laser seems like coherent light, but that's just parallel light. How do you get the photons to join back together? I would think if you're still going to have a consciousness to change shape back from whatever you're changed into there still has to be an interconnectedness of the particles. So I think there has to be some kind of mass involved. Mm. I'm just saying, mm. like I actually understood. Mm. No, I'm just kidding. That's what I'm, I'm sitting <laughs> silently because otherwise I have to express how I don't want to understand this concept. Paul's going, I was told there wouldn't be physics. I was told there'd be no math or science. Actually, we, we, get, we, we touch on science frequently, just we don't understand it. Usually it's, yeah, that's science. I don't know how it works. A science. It tracks alpha waves. Alpha waves. North, Miss Tessbacher. Mush. I just said it tracks pasta fazul. Okay, so, normally, we'd give a rating about now, and then we'd read Blade's email, but... We're going to break format today and see if Blaine wants to read his email for us before we I, read the episode. What do you say, Blaine? Yeah, I'll, I'll read it. Do we have so. a song to introduce Blaine, though? That was it. I said, what do you say, Blaine? That was Blaine? it? That was your song? But he well, said he didn't want a song. No, he, he didn't want, want to sing this song. What does Blaine say? What does he say now that he's here? So tell us what you want to say, because we really, really want to know. So say... So, uh, what, what do you say? So, Blaine, what, what do you say? say? There you go. I say, uh, hi, guys. We finally get a hi, chance one of the other chains legs in Odo's position. I should have liked it better, particularly since it strongly reinforces the relationship between Kira and Odo. Two things kept getting in the way. 
One, J.G. Hertzler kept dropping the affected voice he was putting on, reminding me it was Martok under that makeup, taking me out of the story. And two, Odo should be able to link with Kira as he's linked with the solid before. The story works better this way and makes more sense this way, but that doesn't change the fact that his ability to do so was already established a while ago. I like the fact that it shows Odo's character to be unique, even amongst those of his people he should most identify with. Loss's refusal to link before his final departure was painful to watch, given what it meant for Odo. I just couldn't get Anne as invested in this as I should have been because of those two issues. So normally we talk about how we disagree with you vehemently. But what I want to ask, <laughs> how's your opinion on the episode changed since you wrote that? Uh, a little bit. The Knowing it was Hertzler didn't bother me as much this time as it did when I wrote that email on April 4th, 2017. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh my god. Boy, we've been doing what does Blaine say for a long time. <laughs> yeah, but it, it says a lot about what's coming up that looking at these uh, send dates... I, yeah, I fin. I sent you my thoughts on the very last episode on April fourth. So, I was definitely binging the the tail end of the season. So it, it softened a bit, but I, as I, I don't know. I'm a little torn on the the linking thing because we have seen Odo link with a solid in the past. Well, he doesn't. I thought it was a terrible extent that they become part of him the way like you know they when two changelings link. But no, but he did this, it much he's done the closer. Same thing that yeah. he does with with Kira at the end of this. Well, he, he had a relationship in the past where he, he said, let's link, and then his hand became gelatinous around her arm, and she commented on what the experience was like. So he's done a type of linking with solids before that he's not doing with Kira. And it really rubbed me the wrong way when he did it the first time. I'm So if I were in the writer's room, I would kind of like to pretend it didn't happen, but it did. I would say he says let's link and then I'd start playing like 1970s porn music. Bum chicka dow bum. Or the theme to Zelda. <laughs> Alright, so I guess now we've hit the point where we rate the episode. And I did the uh, synopsis, so I guess I go first. And as I said in the beginning, I, I like this one overall. I thought it did a good job of just kind of bringing us back or bridging the gap from standalone episodes into the greater story again. Uh, although we're going to go off on another tangent next week. But that's besides the point. Um, I, I liked the characterizations that we saw. I liked the fact that it had me thinking throughout about different you know things that are going on. Uh, overall, I just found it, you know, that I was kind of you know, riveted to my TV set for the most part. So I'm going to I'm gonna say it was not a great episode, but it was a very good episode, and I'm going to give it a 3.5. Uh, I'm going to go for 3. I thought it was... I thought it was fine. It certainly didn't seem to suffer from the sophomore slump that the rest of them have suffered in the middle of this season, where it's really been quite hard going in places. Uh, I don't know that I'd leave it on if I'm flicking through it, but I was not bored of it when I was watching it. I uh, I didn't particularly like this episode, but I didn't hate this episode. There were a few things I found laws complete completely unlikable. I felt it a bit of out of character for Odo with uh, his simply meeting laws and right away wanting to link with him. Buy him a drink first, right? <laughs> Get him excited about the pro. Well, he once he got excited, you couldn't turn him off. Apparently, tell him how beautiful he is. <laughs> it would have been better if after he explained to Kira what it was. You know, he smoked a cigarette, but uh, that's the next I guess, episode. <laughs> I just found it. I found it a, a bit out of character, and uh, Kira breaking laws out of prison i i mean i get it star trek and because she can but i mean there's no video footage that it it, it was just a little <laughs> too unbelievable for yeah, me video so. footage of everything on the ship except right. for the, except I, for the brig you <laughs> yeah, well yeah but that, that's the way star trek security cameras work they show everything that's secure and only what's secure they are never on when they need to be on 
Well, then, then last week they had something that could see through bulkheads. This week they don't even have a camera in a jail cell. Right. Right. So for for those reasons, I gave it a two and a half. Uh, I'll give it uh, three f- heatless flames. <laughs> for um, for so you and your valiant crew. Yeah. Yes. Yes. For for uh, um, it was nice that. So we're seeing a little bit, uh, or where they're going to explain Odo's motivation later on, where we need to, uh, maybe if he just decides to go back to the link, I don't know, we'll just say. Um, yeah, three flameless flames. Yeah, I'm, I'm also giving it a three. It's, it, there was potential for greatness here, instead it's just good. So it, it, it falls a little short of what it could have been. Partly because they wrap up the whole plotline with the other changelings and the fact that they exist in the one episode. And given how serialized this thing is about to get, you know, they, they definitely could have done more with it. Yeah, but we've had to have loads of episodes about Esri Blight. Oh, oh, yeah. The Esri trilogy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but Esri's played by Nicole DeBoer, so I'm totally okay with that. Oh, well, we, we were <laughs> fine with that, but we, we, we were, well, you. You'll hear that eventually. You'll like next week's episode, though. Yep. Mm. Okay, so uh, we do have a piece of email on this episode, specifically on this episode, from Tissum Tissum. The Spatula Messiah. Anybody interested in reading that? or you Because know, technically it's not in my contract since I did the synopsis. Oh, you playing that card again. But if nobody has it open, I'll do it. <laughs> no, no, I have it open. Right, I'm so just Andy, um, Andy Reed. Reed, monkey Reed. Andy <laughs> Reed, isn't he the coach of? Uh, oh wait, never mind. Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, we do right. have an email specifically about Chimera. What does Ben say? Oh, don't don't introduce a new segment this late in the game. <sighs> Listeners, hopefully this one will reach you in time to read when you're discussing the episode. If not, as we say on Earth, c'est la vie. Anyway, I thought Resurrection was going to be the only episode I wrote a spontaneous long-form reaction about. But whereas that was about appreciating an inappropriately maligned episode for what it is, I got to thinking about celebrating an inappropriately overlooked episode. Generally, I think Chimera is very much viewed as an episode like many others, just another one-off story along the march to the finale. When it's discussed at all, discussion usually focuses on the awkward and not really satisfying metaphors for gay pride and homophobia. Well, listeners, I'm here to state that Chimera is one of the best episodes of Season 7, if not the series, and I wish that more people recognised it. Well, Ben, we are interested in what you have to sell. Tell on! Chimera is a bit of an uncomfortable watch because it uses the old trick of having the antagonist be the one who has insight into the main characters and isn't shy about sharing. Lars has lived a lot and he's linked with Odo, so he absolutely knows that Odo does think that his place is in the Great Link. The Solids, friends included, absolutely are more comfortable with Odo the less he goes out of his way to advertise his differences. A trade-off of Odo choosing to embrace the life among the Solids is that he is indeed de-emphasizing and pushing aside the importance of experiencing the universe as a changeling. It's nice to see the frank conversations with lack of pretense that characterize the best Odo Kiro scenes. Who's Kiro? The best Odo Kira scenes. And even better to see Quark flat out tell Odo some inconvenient truths that he wishes he could ignore. He has bumps on his head. She has ridges on her nose. But basically, they're the same. With that line, Trek confronts some of the limitations in how its portrayal of aliens is so often limited by budget and imagination. Although he's got a lot in common with the monomorphs, Odo is fundamentally different than they are. And everyone does get a little uncomfortable fully grasping that. When Odo and Lars link, although we might categorize it as sexual because sex is the closest human equivalent, they're not guys in space opera makeup being written as human. The show is portraying two alien characters sharing an experience that's fundamentally unique to their species. The ending isn't perfect for two reasons. The murder of the Klingon is swept away too tidily, and it indulges in the cliche that love conquers all, even as it lampshades it doesn't stop it from being moved by an act of sacrifice from Kira that's notable for the total lack of hesitation or doubt. She'll make sure whatever choices Odo makes, he does with all the options on the table. 
And finally, let's talk about that striking shot of Kira and Odo together. The image is about as erotic as Trek ever lets itself be, sure. But the real point is ending the episode by showing that they are capable of total acceptance of each other. Chimera takes the form of a classic Star Trek 45-minute morality play, and in its ending it commits to Trek's core vision of embracing diversity. I, Dick, forget utter horseshit like his way, this is the Kira Odo romance existing as it was meant to exist. Okay, I'm not actually done yet. A few more things. On a superficial level, the shape-shifting fun adds some visual pop, and a level of action to the episode that's mostly about people talking about their feelings. Nice effects on Lars's fire and fog to show you how they're limited to a particular space, clearly coming from one being. And I'm sure you'll have mentioned this, but, well, I've seen this episode multiple times in full awareness of Garmin Hertzler's day job on DS9, and I still don't quite believe this is the same guy who plays Martok. Talk about disappearing into a role, like some sort of fluid being who doesn't have a fixed appearance or something. Yeah! See what you did there. Given certain revelations about the Changeling's blight in the final arc of the show, Lars's fate will retroactively become more of a loose end than it seems at the time. But I don't think any of that is Chimera's fault. The writers fully acknowledge that if I had the time, they really ought to have followed up on that character. Five banks of fog out of five for me, Ben. Well, that was an exceptionally well-thought-out defence of the episode. That basically covers all the points we made as well. But uh, did it exceptionally eloquently. Well done, Ben. Yeah, You're not convinced me it's one of the best, on. but yeah. I think he hit on some of the points that we hit on, but you know, has a different viewpoint of them and articulates it well, which, as we've said on many times, we do uh, appreciate that. Mm. Uh, you don't have to agree with us. Just articulate your disagreement, and I think Ben did it well here. And yeah, I think, and, and to a large extent, we do agree with a lot of the things he says. Yeah, we just kind of felt they pulled back a little bit on um, the gay rights metaphor that they were going for, whereas it landed for bet. So, fair enough. Yeah, it sounds like we agree on the strengths and weaknesses, just not how the tug of war plays out. Hmm. I got a song for Ben. <laughs> of course you have. <clears throat> the Spatula Messiah. The Spatula Messiah. Uh, there, there you go. That's what I get. <laughs> that was a little bit half-hearted, let's be honest. It's too early to hit that high, 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 high note. I can't do the high note. sitting there saying, I get a song and that's it. I was ex- I was expecting something more like, The Spatula Messiah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, well, that's, you're, thinking, yeah. you're thinking the theme song of Gone with the Wind for Ben. <laughs> I've never seen Gone with the Wind, so I would have no idea. The spat. Well, I, I get it. We have uh, another it, email from Ben, and we have two other emails. But I think for now we should go into Ben's other one because he kind of references it in the email you just read. Uh, his dislike of the episode, his way, which. You know, which, uh, as we're recording this, it had just aired on the uh, on the feed. <clears throat> so I'm going to read that one. Ben says, "Hate to be that guy." Read his way. <laughs> with listeners, with age, one tries to be a little more chill about pop culture rather than being that guy. It's usually a guy, right? If people enjoy a song, movie, whatever that you do not enjoy. You can be a bundle of rage about it and loudly proclaim why those people are wrong. But, well, what's the point? Why not save the anger and hatred for something that matters? So I really try to save the long-winded rants about hating a bit of entertainment for specific situations. So it's with that preamble that I do, in fact, feel the need to go on the record with the fact that I thoroughly detest the episode his way. It is my most hated episode of DS9 and probably of the Trek franchise as a whole. Dave, I think he's, Good. Thrown, down, he's thrown down the gauntlet to you, Dave. <clears throat> Good. 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 Let the hate flow through you. Kill him. Let your hate flow like a bird on... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Sometimes, Ben, it's just good to get out of your system, mate. Just, just let it out. <laughs> Since you do seem to try to make an effort to limit profanity on your show, have you met Andy? <laughs> uh, 
I will I will take it as a writing challenge to express the intensity of my opinion without the twin crutches of swearing and ranting hyperbole or hyperbole. So my hey, issue <laughs> Hey I'm right here. Jerk. <laughs> Why I make one mistake. One mistake. Oh, please. You've made more than one mistake, Bill. Your first one was when you became a regular on the show. So, so my biggest issue with this episode <laughs> is one that I'm glad you at least acknowledged, which is the use of holographic technology to make simulations of friends and coworkers. I'm glad that you noted that Trek is generally opposed to this and specifically cited hollow pursuits. 100% in agreement with Blaine's excellent email about how distasteful it is to see this device treated as a romantic gesture in his way. Consent is the major issue. Kira has not agreed to have her likeness used as a character to fulfill someone else's fantasy of scoring with her. Everything we know about Kira suggests that she would perceive this as degrading. I know I certainly do, and I, fortunately, do not even have to watch Meridian to know that. I don't see why it's particularly relevant that Odo is practicing his communication skills rather than, say, his lovemaking techniques. It's still the same sort of violation of privacy and autonomy. Your other argument is that it's important that Odo is not living out a fantasy here. He's using a Kira model for the sole purpose of trying to train for an interaction with the real Kira. True, but I still have to go back to the original question. Did Kira give her permission to have her face and body made to animate a sultry lounge singing bombshell? And did she then give permission to, as Odo thinks have not only her lightness, but her mind and personality coded as a program for Odo to experiment with. In no universe can I conceive of Kira being okay with Odo thinking that he was doing that. And given that Odo both knows Kira better than anyone else and deeply respects her, everything we know about him tells us that he'd find all of Vic's plans morally unacceptable. The entire premise of the episode is both offensive and out of character. Oh, we're not even close to done yet. My second biggest issue with his way is that you guys seem to think was a strength. The fact that it's played as a wacky romantic comedy full of misunderstandings and one that can almost forget that the characters are space aliens. If one wanted to watch that, why watch Star Trek? I'm interested in Odo because he's part of a genocidal entity that's biologically and psychologically unlike any monomorph mixed with a fundamental curiosity about the beings by which he's been surrounded most of his life, mixed with a deeply held, rigid moral code. I'm interested in Kira because she's been raised in constant barrage of anger and violence that defines her even as she learns how to be among the powerful rather than the powerless. I'm interested in Odo and Kira together because they've seen and accepted each other at their very worst, because they can't hide anything from each other. Oh, it's got a dark edge because Odo's obsessive love for this woman, for whom he quite literally would kill, is one thing keeping him from being everyone's enemy. There's so much depth there. Yet this episode thinks the biggest issue affecting whether or not they get together romantically is whether Odo can get over being shy and learn to talk to his crush. How thoroughly boring. I'm utterly baffled by the appeal in having this long-simmering love story culminate in a scenario that's in no way informed by their characters and shared experiences to date. This is an episode in which you could pretty much plop any in any two random people from any show without significantly altering it. How is that a fitting showcase for these two amazing characters? My third biggest issue is that you say it's Vic's episode. For the sake of brevity, I'll ignore Vic himself as a character except to say that his way gives all the agency to someone we've never met before as he deceives and manipulates our alleged leads. Odo and Kira are basically reduced to being checkers. There's nothing on the level of chess happening here, in their own love story. I'd say that's a problem. Not an exhaustive list by any means, but those are the big three for me. Please do note that even if all of the above were addressed, I'd have various other reasons for not enjoying his way. But I'll close by saying that you're right about one thing. It's depressing that this episode gets about a 50-50 response from the fans. I do, however, disagree with you about which 50% are the problem, and also about the overall quality of this MFing, flaming, shitpile, trash fire of an episode. Well, I tried. More cheerful email in a few weeks. Ben. Okay, well, 
I'm just going to briefly say that all of your points are well thought out and well taken, and I can't tell you that you're wrong on any of them. I really can't. Because he's not real, eh? Yeah, well, if he was, I would say I disagree with you. I mean, we've had that before. We've had emails where people have disagreed, and I've said I still disagree or whatever. I, the, only, the only thing for me to disagree is that the things that really, really bothered you didn't really, really bother me. I'm not saying they're not there, and I'm not saying that you're wrong. And maybe it makes me more superficial that I could sit here and watch the rom-com episode of this show and be enthralled by it. But I was. So, <laughs> you know, your your mileage may vary, and uh, I, I don't begrudge you not liking the episode. Uh, I don't know if you guys have anything you'd like to address in there. Uh, first of all, I want to put that that was an extremely eloquent, well-put rant. My rants aren't that eloquent. <laughs> yeah, I'm so stupid. Yeah, so, well done, Ben. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't disagree with you at all, like Paul said. I just, I think we approached it as a bit of fluff, and it was a bit of fluff. But when you raise the points like that, yeah, the, there's a couple of issues there, aren't there? Yeah. Dave, your response? Uh, that <laughs> was a lucid, intelligent, well-thought-out objection. I disagree. <laughs> Overruled. <laughs> I've had judges say that to me. That was a lucid, well thought out objection. Overruled. <laughs> yeah, reasonable, reasonable minds can differ. I found it very enjoyable, and I still find it as such. A little light fun. Yeah, I, I do think there's a little bit of a uh, putting a square peg into a round hole to make the characters fit the story that they wanted to tell. And I think Ben is. You know, he, he articulates that well in his description. So ultimately, it comes down to, is it worth doing that in your mind as a viewer? In mine, it was. The entertainment that I got out of it was worth doing that. And, and when you look at it more closely, yeah, it does start to fall a little bit apart as far as characterizations go and all of that. And we, we addressed it to some extent, just not to the degree that you did, Ben. I mean, we talked about, you know... The, the use of the hologram to have Kira's image and, you know, what well, you know, a problem or not. My mind kind of, when you were talking about that, uh, about Ben's email, my mind kind of drifted off, like it often does. That's normal. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking about that. And you know what? I bet you there's probably something with Quark, much like, you know, how many times do we click through a terms of service on anything, on an app or whatever, without fully reading it? And she probably gave, even going in the holodeck at any time or, you know, I mean, she was adamant about that in, in the beginning of the series. But, you know, you'll, you'll never get me in there or this and that. And then later on, she's in there with Jadzia. And so once she goes in there, she's agreed to some terms of service that her likeness can be used. And she's given up those rights. So, but that was. I don't know about that. Just because well, you know, well, a hologram doesn't mean yeah. they use you as a hologram. Yeah, you, you know what? That's, that's, that's painfully close to saying to an artist, if you put your stuff out there, I'm able to use it. For we are great. talking about Ferengis. And yeah, I, I, I yeah, suspect true. what Bill is basically saying is that um, you may have agreed to something with Quark so that he has the legal right to do this, even if he doesn't have the ethical right to yes. do this. Yeah, yes. we're getting into morality here. We're not getting into should somebody be arrested. Yeah, so, yeah, to, to Bill's point... Quark probably has something rigged up so that the clause appears, at least in the contract of every woman Quark finds attractive, where he can model them in the uh, hollow suite, should he choose once they've used it. But that that doesn't plus, make it right. Plus, plus we found uh, as a plot device that, that Vic seems to be able to do anything much more than average programs can do anyway, so he could have just lifted it and pulled her likeness anyway but i believe they say that oh yeah because that's the one uh where she's got said he had to get rid of the russian accent so it's like it's from a copy from before anyway so from when she was yeah when she was um in the bashir james bond one yeah yeah Arman bashir mm -hmm. but again it would have to be more than getting rid of the russian accent because that that was not kira's personality in that character it was just yeah. her outward appearance so, <laughs> I think that's it for this week. Two good emails, though, though. Oh, very good. Two, two good emails and both from the same writer. 
what are we doing next time? Next time, our old new episode of Listen to the Prophets, Viva Las Vegas. Bada bing, bada bang. Starfleet, it's the strip. What is all this? Don't ask me. But Vegas ain't what it used to be. It contains hotels just being bought by gangsters. When the mob puts the make on the crew's favorite hollow suite. You, Vicky boy, are about to take a powder. Now, one bad roll of the dice. If we get rid of Frankie eyes, everything we sets back to the way it was. And their history. We're running out of time. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Thank you very much. And thanks, Blaine, <laughs> for coming on with us. Oh, thanks for having me. Where thanks, can we find you, Blaine? Uh, well, I've got a, a few podcasts that all come out through Bureau42.com. I've actually also migrated them to Anchor so that they all have their individual feeds again. So you can check those out if you're interested in you know, hearing Paul come on to... Is it, he's got an upcoming guest spot, or is it in the past. I have to see. No, I have, it hasn't appeared yet. We still have a while before it's coming on, actually. Yeah, I just, uh, I know we've got lead time on both podcasts. I'm just not sure how it lines up. But um, Trey Hooks and I sit down every week to talk about the best picture, or every month, sorry, to talk about movies that won best picture in a series called 99 Years, 100 Films. And Paul has already come in to join us discussing a best picture winner that I think came up in conversation today. Yes. Yes, it did. Yeah. We'll leave that as a teaser. Yeah. And and when, when the episode airs, it will be airing simultaneously on your podcast as well as Is It Yours? So uh, some, something for people to be looking forward to. Yeah. We'll have a crossover. Yeah, so there's... The alternate universe for both shows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's one of my regular podcasts. Um the four shows I put out, another one right now is just old-time radio, so you don't hear me say a word. I'm just uploading the files straight from archive.org. Uh, right now, that one is going through X-1 every Sunday. Uh, and then I've got an X-Files retrospective podcast that comes out every two weeks. And Bedtime in the Public Domain, which is going to be running Aesop's Fables until January 2021 where I read a chapter of something in the public domain every weekday. Thanks again, Blaine, for coming on with us. And everybody, check out Blaine's stuff. Makes you feel smarter. <laughs> or dumber. Oh, sorry. That's <laughs> <spoke> too much. <laughs> Thank you all, and we'll see you in two weeks. Goodbye. 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 Listen to the Prophets at Deep Space Nine Podcast is a Two True Freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you'd like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. Hi, I'm Blaine Dowler, host of Bedtime in the Public Domain. In this podcast series, I'll read bedtime stories from books in the public domain. Each weekday, I'll release one chapter or short story from a selected larger collection. Once the entire book is done, I'll also release an audiobook version, including all chapters or short stories, before taking a few days off to prepare the next series. All stories will be from one of the children's categories from the Project Gutenberg website, because they do an excellent job of editing the content to ensure it's in public domain, and I have neither the time nor expertise required to do that myself. Suggestions for the stories that come next are welcome and encouraged. You can find the show at Bureau42.com, on iTunes, and on Stitcher.